Our gospel reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. It will begin by saying on the evening of that first day of the week, and when it says that first day of the week, it's the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, that first day of the week. So we're going to hear about what happened that evening, but first let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word, which you have given to us. And God, we pray that you would give us this morning ears to hear your word. God, we pray that you would give us minds to understand your word. And God, we pray that you would give us hearts that are ready to be changed by your word. Lord, that even this morning, it would be by your word and your spirit that we would be changed even more today into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Turning then to our New Testament reading from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. We get just a bit of the picture. There's a lot more to this story, but we get a bit of the picture of some of what was going on in the early church. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Last Sunday, uh, I told you a story about a time when I was in seminary and I had gotten a paper back that was um, a mildly traumatic experience for me, emotionally anyway. And uh, those of you who are chuckling must have been here and still remember. So <laughs> the, uh, the way that it went, I'll sum it up, uh, is I had a paper that had two things that I did not know could go together, together in the one paper. And that is, it was, uh, there was an A on the paper, but it was also heavily, heavily marked up with red ink of all the things that could have been better. And I said it, that we typically don't think of those things going together because normally you think, oh, if there's an A, that's good. We're good. Um, and yet, the goal of that professor was not that we would get A's on the paper. The goal of the professor is that we would become good students of the word of God, that we would become good communicators of the word of God, that we would be good thinkers as we um, both study and as we communicate. And in and, and every bit of that, that's what he was going for. And there was certainly a lot of room for improvement. Anyway, uh, this week, I'm going to back this up a little more. That was last week. Two weeks ago, we had kind of left off with a guy named Abram. And we had been following in the story of Abram, uh, well, following the story of God working with his people, and we had seen how things just continued to go downhill. So you think about all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and from there, things just seemed to go downhill. But then we get to this guy named Noah, and it seems like, okay, here we go again. Now we're going to go up, and it's just always going to be up. And then it goes downhill quickly again. But then, here comes this guy named Abram. And God takes this guy out of, <laughs> out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, out of this kind of Babylonian suburb, and he removes him from his family and says, I want you to go. In fact, actually, let's just read it. He says, um, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. (laughs) Here we go. Now we're getting somewhere. Now the story is really beginning. Now we're going to actually, as I mentioned, we're going to slow down the story and we're going to focus on this one man and his family, uh, really, for the rest of the Old Testament. And into the new. And so uh, now, that we, now that we are here, we see you know, that God has made this promise and that he actually does it. God says, leave your family, leave your country, and he leaves, and he goes, and he goes down uh, to what we then call the promised land, because it is the land that God had promised to Abram, and he goes to this land, and he's living there, and that is where we pick up the story. So this morning, uh, we are starting in Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20, and the question really is, where does the story go from here? Is Abraham, Abram at this point, is he going to walk faithfully with God? Is he not? 
Are we going to repeat some of the things we've seen earlier in the story? Or is it going to be different this time? Well, here we go. Genesis 12, starting in verse 10. Now there, was in, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. All right. Seemed like a good idea at the time, right? We just read about the promise that God made to Abram, right? And there are several layers to this promise. What are the things that this promise includes? He said, I will make you into a great nation. How is this going to happen? It is through Abram and his wife having children. They still don't have any children at this point. Uh, he says he's going to make his, uh, he's going to make his name great. It's going to be a blessing. He's going to bless those who bless him. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And he'd said just before this that where he was supposed to go is where? To the land that I will show you. In the opening lines of the very next section, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. It repeats the famine twice. We're supposed to notice there was a famine. Why are we supposed to notice there's a famine? Because that's what changes things. This is where the, um, this land that will later be described as this land flowing with milk and honey isn't currently looking so great. And Abram is there, but the food isn't there. So what does he do? And so it says in between those two times we mentioned the famine, he went down to Egypt. Now here's the thing. We tend to think of, uh, like on maps, of north being up and south being down and that kind of thing. Biblically speaking, that's not really how the language is used. Typically, you go up when you are going up to, say, Jerusalem, to the temple. Why are you going up to Jerusalem? Why do you go up there? Because it's, you're going into the presence of God, and going to the presence of God is always pictured as going up. But then you also have times where people are going down. 
And that is when you're going away from Jerusalem or when you're going away from the temple because that's a way of picturing going away from the presence of God. Start looking for that as you read through this up and down language. And now hear this line again. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt. Now your antenna's already up, right? You go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, here we go again. Um, because here's the thing. Abram is supposed to be in the land, and he just left the land. Abram is supposed to become this great nation, and when he gets to Egypt, what does he do? He's afraid he's not going to have food in the land that God has promised to him, and so he leaves the land. And now he goes to Egypt where there's going to be food, but now he's afraid that he might get killed while he's there because his wife is beautiful. I'm sure this is a common threat we can all relate to. No, this is a weird thing, right? Like, they're going to kill me because my wife is beautiful? Yeah. What? <laughs> Let me explain first. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. The, uh, Abraham is putting in jeopardy the promises that God has made by telling her to lie about this and just say you're my sister. It's kind of a half-truth. We'll get to that in future weeks because guess what? This happens again. Anyway. (laughs) But he tells her to lie and say that she's his sister uh, to save him. And in doing so, this actually puts him becoming a great nation at jeopardy, doesn't it? How's he going to have kids with his wife if now she's taken by somebody else? That's not good. And the other part of him being a blessing to all nations, it's through his family, it's going to be a blessing to all nations. And what's the first thing we see in his interaction with the nations after God has promised him that? It's him not bringing blessing to the nations. But his actions actually end up bringing a curse on the nations, bringing a plague upon the nations. That's not good. So here's, okay, go back. Why the lie? Why does he tell her to do this? What is the situation uh, that he's afraid of that's going to happen? And how does saying you're his sister fix it? And basically, the way that it seems anyway that Abram's got this all figured out is that in the culture of the day, uh, if the, you know, the father is the one who is the protector of the daughter, etc., and uh, but also, in some sense, the owner of the daughter. And so, uh, if you want to marry the daughter, you don't negotiate with the daughter. You negotiate with the father. That is how this works. And But if the father dies, then guess who is the one that is in that role? It's the brother. And so, uh, Abram's like, here we go. If they think that I am your husband... And one of these Egyptians, these godless pagan Egyptians, (laughs) decide that they are going, that they want to marry you, what are they going to do? They're going to see me as the husband, as somebody who's in the way. They can't get what they want if if you're already married. Well, there's an easy way for them to deal with that. They'll just get rid of me. On the other hand, if you say that you're my sister, then 
I'm the one they're going to be negotiating with. They're going to be trying to butter me up to get my blessing on, you, on them marrying you. And we both know I'm not going to actually give you to them. So there's nothing to worry about. It's a brilliant, perfect solution. There will be no problems. There's no way this could backfire. Just say you're my sister. They'll try to butter me up. Uh, maybe they'll give me good stuff, good treatment or whatever, and I'll just keep putting them off until there's food uh, back and the famine is over and we can go home. But what happens instead? What is it that Abram had not foreseen when coming up with this brilliant plan? Pharaoh doesn't ask. Pharaoh's Pharaoh. The king has whatever he wants, takes whatever he wants. And of course, sure, I will, you know, give you gifts and those sorts of things to compensate for what I've done. But no, I'm not asking for anyone's blessing. I'm just going to take. And so now they're in a real bind. Now Abraham, or Abram has taken Sarai down there and said, just say you're my sister. And then he, she does. And the one person, the one person who could not have, you know, get attracted to Sarai and want to take her as wife, that's the one person who does. And now they're stuck. So what does Abram do now? What's the play? You say, we were just kidding, we were just kidding, and we're actually married, and can I have her back, please? Well, that's not going to go over well with anybody. On the other hand, what's his other option? Well, guess she's his wife now. God's plan is over. Our marriage is over. There will be no future family. There will be no future blessing for the nations. We're done. You see the problems here? Abraham, Abraham's in a real bind. And we see that this is right on the heels of this great promise to Abram that God has made. And so we see that you know, high point again of, okay, here we go. God's picked this guy out of everybody else, and he said, I'm going to do these great things through you. And we're like, all right, let's go, Abram. And then, <laughs> right downhill again. And the whole thing is in jeopardy because Abram got afraid. Afraid there wouldn't be food to eat in the promised land. Afraid he couldn't trust the Egyptians. Most of all, afraid he couldn't trust God to see this all through. Seemed like a good idea at the time. You ever felt that way? As you look back over situations in your life, can you relate to the it seemed like a good idea at the time? (laughs) Or looking back and you think to yourself, what was I thinking? Or you look back at the things that you've done and you say, I knew at the time that wasn't a good idea. I just didn't know what else to do. Right? You've been there? You know these kinds of things. But then there's the other part. And that is, we've looked at what Abram did. And everything that Abram did in this situation seems to have caused big problems. But does it end the promises? No. No, it does not end the promises. 
that God has this way of taking even our selfish, stupid, sinful actions, and we've all got them. And he doesn't declare them good. He doesn't say, oh, no, no, that's fine. You just do that. That's fine. He says, no, that is wrong. That should not be done. But he still has this way of taking those things that we do, and he still brings good out of them in regards to his ultimate purposes for us. So what happens with Abram and Sarai? Are they able to stay married by the end of this? Yeah, they are. Are they able to go back to the land they came from? Yeah, they are. And they actually even come back with more stuff than they left with. What? So does that mean that what Abram did was good and right? No. It means that God is amazing. And he is amazingly faithful even when he's working with unfaithful people. And that's good news for all of us. And this isn't going to be the last time that we see this kind of thing. In fact, go ahead and look at this, uh, these verses again, verses 10 through 20, and think to yourself, if you know the story of the Exodus, of the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, going down to Egypt because of a famine, being mistreated by the Egyptians, having to be rescued by God through plagues, being ordered out of Egypt by the Pharaoh and with far more than they came with, you'll see that the events that happen right here are foreshadowing what's going to happen in his family down the road. These same things are happening. And there are some of the same problems, consequences, that come because of these actions, people suffer. But God is still faithful. I think as Christians, we tend to make two main mistakes when reading uh, stories about uh, those who have come before us in the Bible. The first is by assuming that if they did it, it must be good. It's in the Bible after all, right? That is a dangerous uh, way to read the Bible. That does not seem to be the story the Bible is telling. Think about it. Did Adam and Eve always do right? A no. Noah, did he always do right? No. What about someone like David? Did David always do right? No. Samson? A definitely no. What about the prophet Jonah? No. (laughs) In fact, on and on through the story, the story is not, here are great people who did amazing things because they were perfect in what we should all aspire to. No, the story is, this is a great and perfect and wonderful God who continues to work with people just like us, who some days get it a lot more right, and some days get it a lot more wrong. Some days we are walking closely with God and we are living by faith and other days we let fear get the best of us and we go down to Egypt.
The other way, that's so one way we read it, is by saying, ah, if they did it, it must be right. The other way that we can read it, that I think is also problematic, is to look at a story like this and say, Abram, 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 how could you? I mean, after all that God has done, how could you be so faithless? I, I would never do such a thing. If I were in that position, of course I wouldn't. And we look down through the line and we recognize all these flawed people from the past and we say, well, they just didn't uh, have as much faith as I do because I would never make this mistake. I don't think it's a good read either. In fact, I think one thing we can be sure of is that if our reading of the scripture leads us to pride and arrogance, we're reading it wrong. We read from 1 Peter uh, in our call to worship that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And this seems to be the message throughout. So as I mentioned, uh, the story from you know, the paper I got back with the A on it, but also all the red ink. This is the story of the gospel. This is actually the story of Abram. I told you that uh, the one thing I learned from that, uh, that experience of getting the paper back with all the red ink, but also the A, is to read the grade first, <laughs> right? Read the grade first because it changes how you read the rest of it. I want you to notice when God made the promises to Abram. Was it before this next incident? Yes, it was before he did all this stuff. It wasn't that Abram did all this stuff. He goes down to Egypt, and God says, well done. Now that you have shown that you can't trust me at all, here's what I'm going to do. No, it wasn't that. It was, I'm going to do this for you. Full stop. And that what we see after that is Abram sometimes making good decisions, sometimes making bad decisions. But that as he's doing this, God is still committed to fulfill the promises that he's made to Abram. That A on the paper that God has stamped that on from the beginning. And so you are already loved, you are already accepted, and I already have made promises to you that I'm not going to go back on. But then, as we mentioned last week, there's a lot of work to do. Not to earn that grade. That grade he just gives, grace. Jesus is the one who earned that for us. But then he says, all right, now let's get on with this. Now let's start uh, shaping you into the person that you need to become. I find it personally really, really encouraging to read through the Bible and see it not as a picture of a bunch of people who get it right all the time, nor as a bunch of people that, well, I could do better than that, but reading it and seeing that it is people just like us, that I see people making maybe not the exact same stupid mistakes that I make, but stupid mistakes just like the stupid mistakes that I make. I find that really encouraging. 
I find it really encouraging that God continues to be faithful to people who make these kinds of mistakes. That he continues to fulfill his promises to people who make this kind of mistakes. And that he continues to call them to something better than that. I don't know if you've ever tried to learn something new. But my guess is, if it was totally new, you didn't master it at the first attempt. I think it would be a pretty lousy coach to say, sure, you can be on the team and then just let you do it your own way and never teach you to get better. I don't know how many of you have uh, taught someone to drive, but I suspect that there's not a one of us who's done that who has had the person we're teaching just get it all perfect at the first attempt. I mean, come on, how common is it that you say, put on your turn signal, and suddenly the windshield wipers go on, right? That happens to almost everybody. And when that happens, the response isn't, oh, forget it, you'll never learn this, let's be done, you're apparently a terrible driver. No. It is, yep, (laughs) that's what people always do. Let me show you where the turn signal is. Let me show you how to not make that mistake again. There will be others. (laughs) But let's learn and keep going. When we see this story of Abram, we see a story of somebody who gets it wrong. And I think it's okay to admit that Abram is getting it wrong. But I think that if that's all we look at, we miss the lesson for us. And the lesson is Abram got it wrong because He was just making a pragmatic decision, trying to figure things out along the way and learning to walk with God, which is a new thing. That's where we all ought to be. Not the making stupid mistakes, but just knowing that it's going to happen. But the goal is still walking with God and learning from him what it means to walk with him, what it means to trust him even when a famine hits what it means to still have integrity even when the pragmatic thing looks like dishonesty might be the way to go. These are things we have to learn. It doesn't come all at once. And so we have all these books in the New Testament where you read the way that Paul writes. It's amazing. The way that Paul writes his letters tends to have the two halves. And the first half says, here is what God has done for you in Christ. A, stamp it on there. And then the second half of the letter is, now here's all the things you need to get fixed. (laughs) You've already got the A. That's already there. It says in Romans 8, there is now no, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says that before he gets to Romans 12, 13, 14, Those are the chapters where he says, here's how you ought to be living. But do you hear that before he even gets there, he says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ? If we hear the grade first, if we hear the promises that God made to Abram first, if we hear that there's no condemnation for us because of Christ first, it changes how we hear all the corrections later. 
not as reasons to feel bad about yourself and to condemn yourself and to be in despair because, oh, well, I'll never get it right. But as the words of a loving mentor, a loving coach, or as he's described in Scripture, a loving father who loves us and wants good for us. You may have heard the expression before, God loves you just the way you are. He also loves you too much to leave you that way. This is good news if we have ears to hear and hearts to receive. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for uh, the good news that we have, that in Jesus there is no condemnation, that you have uh, forgiven us not because we are those who deserve to be forgiven, that you deserve, or that you give based on what Christ has deserved, that you give, forgive based on nothing but grace. I would pray that you would help us to remember the promises that you have made. Help us to be able to trust in your promises throughout whatever circumstances we seem to face or the way that life throws us curves. I would pray that you would help us to continue to walk with you. I would pray that you would help us to continue to learn from you, to continue to remain humble changeable, that way we continue to grow more and more into the people that you have made us to be, to those who look more and more like Jesus and less and less like the rest of the world. God, we pray that you would help us as we continue to walk with you to do so um, as those willing to go under um, your surgical light that we would be willing to let you remove from us the things that need to be removed help us to be willing to take on the things that you would have us to take on and God we pray that you'd help us to remember to keep all of this in the context of your love for us in Christ. That as we continue to walk in this way, we would be those who are a blessing to those around us rather than those who bring a curse. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation. There's the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.